Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is the show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. Welcome to today's Tech Talks. Today, we are featuring the founder of FastBitcoins.com and MD of AAO Technologies, Danny Brewster. But before that, he's back. Hello, I'm back. You're back. Back in the UK. How was how was Austin, Texas? Fantastic. I mean, the way I've been describing it to, to people that haven't been or assume that Austin is just like everywhere else in Texas is that Austin is very much the Shoreditch of Texas. Very liberal, very artsy. There's craft beer coming out there. Little of its own ass. Yeah, quite self-entitled. They're, they're 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 proud to shout about their liberalism in their city because, in comparison to other cities in Texas, it's. You know, <laughs> I mean, when we talk about their liberalism in Texas, right? Are we talking like the right wing of the ERG? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> they're, they're a bit more open. Like, so we had a pride celebration okay. uh, in our office, and it was very well attended. Um, some people still didn't come because they were from San Antonio or Dallas. But look, it's 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 a beautiful city. There's there's loads to do as well. Fantastic places to drink, eat. Had the barbecue food out there, which is just you think you've had good barbecue food. Like your dad does good barbecue food, but these guys smoke their ribs and meats for 24 hours. I mean, it's a vegan's nightmare out there, but it's also a vegan paradise because of the you know the shortage wannabeness. But right. it's a, it's a cool place to go. I Did you have Tex Mex? I didn't have Tex-Mex. I, um, I've always I, liked the idea of Tex-Mex or, or kind of beef. What I did have was a breakfast taco, though, or really? taco. I keep, I don't know, I keep pronouncing it wrong. I had a breakfast taco um, and at half eight in the morning having a spicy chorizo egg wrap, essentially. It's a bad that way to start. Good. It's good, but it's a bad way to start the day, you know, for your intestines. Now, how much did that cost you in dollars? The taco, uh, you got... Well, it was paid for by the office, but I bought my own tacos for one lunch and it came to $8. Were they big? Yeah, 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 yeah. Almost burrito size. So if it was $8, yep. how much uh, Satoshi would it have been? Right, yeah, that's a, that's, <laughs> that's a word I've learned today. Well, Satoshi is a, is a part of a Bitcoin, right? So It's the unit, the protocol unit. I mean, yeah. it would probably be like, well, one Satoshi is not point, not, 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 not. You must have some Satoshis, though. You I got have into, no Satoshis. Oh, okay, because I remember when Bitcoin came round for the second coming almost and a lot of people at Harvey Nash invested then. Um, I, I wonder how I many Satoshis not. were, were given out then because I don't know that anyone bought a full Bitcoin. I don't know. But no, no, price no. Yeah, exactly. When, when all that hype was going off, yeah. there were several thousand. So anyway. So that leads in nicely. It does, doesn't it? As you might tell, we are talking cryptocurrency and Bitcoin today. Uh, with Danny. Interesting backstory. That's going to lead off in the interview. And then we get, I suppose, into some kind of quite philosophical, quite mm. political mm. Uh, discussion points, which I think are quite worthwhile. Absolutely. So we'll hand over to the interview and we'll be back with some comment afterwards. So we're chatting with Danny, the founder of fastbitcoins.com, right? That's me. How long has it been around for? Um, about three and a half years, I'd say. Yeah. From inception, from the first lines of code. To, to hit in the market and to where we're at today. So you were um, CEO of a Cyprus-based Bitcoin exchange and payment processing alternative, Neo and B. Right? Yeah. Uh, and there's a bit of a story that goes with that. There's a really long story, uh, but to break it down quickly, um, 
I lived in Cyprus uh, from early 2012, I think it was when, and then we had the the bail-ins uh, of the banks there, mm. when the uh, basically 50% of everything over 100,000 euro was taken from people's uh, bank accounts to recapitalise the banks. Yeah, and <clears throat> that was the first time that people in this part of the world actually witnessed that. We have bailouts in this country where the Chancellor obviously bailed out the, the banking sector. Yeah. But in Cyprus, for them to receive, uh, as a country, some bailout money, they had to recapitalise the banks from using the depositors' funds. Uh, and that, to me, was uh, very far too early for my ideas that I was trying to, to bring to market there. Well, we did actually bring them to market, kind of. Um, but it basically... It was all triggered around those events because I witnessed people that had just lost most of their life savings um, to the banks through their irresponsibility uh, in lending to people that could then take that money and then invest it in Greek bonds that was paying a higher interest rate mm -hmm. um, than what they was paying on the loans. And that bubble just collapsed. And that's what caused all of the, the, the issues in Cyprus. So with that experience and with that... I suppose that negative experience and those challenges, why come back and build a company? Why come back and bring, um, bring fast Bitcoins and, and against all odds to the because, because basically what drove me to, to do it is ultimately there's one reason why I care about Bitcoin is because I think its potential will enable it to change the world for a better, uh, to make the world a better place for, for my daughter and ultimately grandchildren if they ever let her have a boyfriend. Um, <laughs> and... and, and and also, there was uh, the way in which we raised capital for the, the Cypriot company. Basically, um, there was about 600 people that backed the company um, from small amounts to large amounts of Bitcoin. It was Bitcoin that we raised um, back then from, from those people. And essentially, they was left holding empty bags. Um, so, what I, uh, I wanted to do was basically say to them look, they, they labelled me a scammer and uh, and everything and dragged my name through the mud for, for two, two and a half years so I literally, when I could come back out fighting mm. I said look, I want to 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 sort all of this out and about 25% of that has been done and it's like a $32 million promise now right. that, that I made at the time to, to like sort all of that out So what is AAO Technologies Limited, what, and what does FastBitcoins.com actually do? Um, basically, AAO Technologies is just the, the, the holding company, company name. Right. Um, for, it owns FastBitcoins.com, the trademarks and everything is all held um, by technologies. And <clears throat> what FastBitcoins.com does is it enables um, anybody to, through the, the purchase of a prepaid voucher, um, we're going directly at like the Bitcoin ATM market uh, that type of model. We can deploy a location for a fraction of the cost of a, a hardware ATM. Uh, we don't have the, the cash handling fees because that's generally done by the retailer mm. who've already got the existing policies and procedures and expectance of handling cash and, uh, and things in place. But the uh, so, so what the end user can do is basically go to a retailer or jump in a cab where they sell one of our vouchers so they can ask to buy 
um, 10, 20, 50, 100 pounds worth of uh, Bitcoin. What the, the retailer will do is provide them with a voucher for that amount. They can then take that voucher. Voucher being a, an e-voucher on a smartphone or something? <coughs> or? Um, we do printed vouchers. We do have the, the ability to do uh, like an e-voucher as well. Mm -hmm. um, but generally, it's like a, a prepaid phone top-up voucher. Um, exactly the same type of model. So you take the voucher code, enter it into our website or onto the app, select where you want it delivered to. We never hold customers' funds, so we must always deliver uh, the funds to the user mm -hmm. um, when using our service um, because that is a, a fundamental aspect of, of Bitcoin that a lot of people don't understand when they're getting into it for the, for the ideals of making a few quid. They don't understand that if you don't own the keys to your Bitcoin, they're not really your Bitcoin. Yes. And not your keys, not your coins. Because you can own a, a bit of a Bitcoin. Yeah, you can own a fraction of a Bitcoin down to one 100 millionth, which is known as a Satoshi right. um, uh, of a Bitcoin. That's also something that a lot of people don't understand, is they think, oh, Bitcoin is $5,000, I can't afford one of those. Um, when, as a matter of fact, you can buy 10, 20, 30 pounds worth uh, and have it delivered. This is all great. But why? Like, I, I get there's an element of is it is it just kind of paving the way for why? people to be more familiar with Bitcoin if they do become wider adoption. But I mean, we're sitting in a cab. You mentioned the cab. We're sitting in this cab right now. To all intents and purposes, it's a, it's a black cab, but it's got a buy Bitcoin sticker here, Bitcoin accepted here. Generally speaking, most people are going to go, oh, that's cool, but still use whatever currency they're used to using, right? Yeah, people are going to use bad money before they're going to use good money. Right. There's... So explain that concept, because that's an interesting one, right? Okay, um, Bitcoin is sound money, whereas in the in the times of the gold standard and things like that, um, no government could just inflate their money because they had to have it backed by something. Um, so whereas Bitcoin, it's it's a form of, uh, of money that has a predetermined monetary policy, whereas tomorrow the Bank of England could choose to, to produce twice, buy twice as many bonds and essentially double the, the monetary supply in the country, which essentially halves the buying power of everybody else's yeah. currency. Uh, whereas with Bitcoin, that is impossible to happen um, because to to change the, the issuance of Bitcoin, which is capped at 21 million, um, to change that, you would have to get everybody else or the vast majority of everybody else to agree with your change, um, which in theory nobody would agree to uh, because it's a voluntary system. If you don't agree to that change, you ain't making that change happen. So, so, so the, so the, so the, um, so the monetary supply of Bitcoin and like the, essentially the the financial policies of Bitcoin are set in stone, and they have been since the the very beginning. Mm. Um, and they can't change. It's just the way that the system was designed. And there's no one individual that holds the power or authority to to enforce any changes. But how does paying for a cab help people understand that? Um, it's just a function of money um, right now the vast majority and bearing in mind Bitcoin is only 10 years old mm. and if you really want to, to look at um, like money you've got uh, the, th the, the three stages of money you've got the store of value which is where we're at now um, so essentially storing your value in that asset um, to transport that value over time mm -hmm. um, whereas if you hold say £100 um, in sterling in your bank account that over a period of a year or 10 years the buying power of that is going to decline through inflation um, <clears throat> whereas if you hold um, one bitcoin in your bank account or in your bitcoin wallet 
over a period of 10 years, we've seen the appreciation and the monetization of that asset, um, like the, the increase in spending power. Yes, it's on a day-to-day basis, it's very volatile and up and down, mm. um, or even on a month-to-month basis, but over a period of 10 years, it's, it's in, increased um, its spending power. And the same with gold. <clears throat> so the benefits of, of using Bitcoin right now, I'm not gonna be crazy and say, oh, it's gonna change the world tomorrow. 20, 50 years time, that's when we're looking at um, of moving on to dare I say it a Bitcoin standard <laughs> so, so what are but, the barriers uh, to that because obviously I, I would imagine it's in the, states interests to look after their own currencies absolutely um, but also um, yesterday there was a paper or a blog post published by the IMF which was basically saying what we need to do to achieve negative interest rates yes and being a a, a new listener to your podcast one of the um, previous episodes there was a guy I can't remember exactly which episode uh, it was. El Joe I imagine for the cashless society judo pay yeah, that was that was that, judo that, pay yeah judo pay um, for a cashless society a cashless society for me is a scary 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 thing to be aiming towards and cheerleading um, and Bitcoin is essentially cash for a cashless society because it, it it's censorship resistance which is also another property um, of, of Bitcoin that is underappreciated. Um, nobody can prevent me sending new value across the Bitcoin network mm. because nobody is in the middle to, to stop that from happening. But if we have a cashless society and I suddenly annoy Theresa May, and she turns around and she puts me on a list, I can no longer interact with any of the, the, banking inf- the, the traditional banking infrastructure. So how do I feed my family? I've got no cash because we don't have cash anymore. Mm. And for me, it's it may be uh, a little bit of a tinfoil hat brigade um, approach, but I want a way or an insurance against the government and the powers that be and the, the employees of the banks um, to be able to opt out of that system. I have heard kind of suggestions of negative uh, equity Previously, or negative inflation, Inter- sorry, negative interest, interest rates. Negative interest rates previously. How likely is that? Extremely, the way that it's going and the way that it's more frequently being spoken about. Right. Um, I think they've already um, experimented in parts of the world, like Japan and things, right. with them. Um, and basically, when you're having to to pay to or have your money eroded, so you're incentivized to spend that money. Um, that creates con- even more consumerism, which, when it comes to, to buying things, we can only create and make so many things before we continue to um, like destroy the planet and things like that. Mm. Um, so for me, if if people are, are that desperate to incentivize people to spend money to stimulate the economy, then something is fundamentally wrong there. One of the barriers... <laughs> One of the barriers that, I don't know whether you think this is relevant or not, but if I get £10 worth of Bitcoin, it's going to be like 0.0001 something, something, something. Is that a problem? Is that going to stop people using it? Because no, in, in your head, that's like, oh, hang on a minute, even, even what's this worth? Um, we also have the, the unit of account, uh, the Satoshi, mm. which is what the Lightning Network, and we're like the first um, cash to, to Lightning Exchange, which is a second layer uh, which is more of a, a cash layer for instant fast micro payments yeah um, on, on top of Bitcoin 
and that because Bitcoin, the actual network itself, not many people um, beyond those nerds that have spent far too long looking at the code and things um, understands that that Bitcoin doesn't actually operate in like 1.000. Bitcoin operates on a protocol level of one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Uh, because it, it actually operates in satoshis, which is like one one hundred millionth of a bitcoin. Right. So if you say like a, a dollar is say twenty thousand satoshis, then it begins to make a bit more yeah, sense. Yeah, a lot more sense. Um, so a lot of then, this is about the the semantics almost. But, that, but that's 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 just like unit bias, isn't it? Who cares what the dollar value is? Right. And then we won't be um, there. Won't be such. I can't wait for it because like the community is pretty toxic. Um, the talking about Bitcoin will become about as boring as talking about the dollar uh, and then that's when we know that we've hit that right. threshold um, and there's like people in Venezuela and stuff they're actually using Bitcoin to move across the border without getting robbed um, that's actively happening you can't do that if you've got gold or local currency is absolutely useless if you've got dollars like physical notes they'll take it from you as you go across the border or Precious like jewelry and things like that. They're getting robbed as they're going across the border. But you can cross a border with twelve words in your head, and you can take all of your savings and go start a new life in one of the neighbouring countries as a refugee. You've got to start. That's I can see how there's a positive human story to that. Does it? Does it give concerns around trafficking and how easy it is to move money if someone can move X amount of money with just twelve words in their head? Yeah, there's always going to be um, cases like that. But there's cases like that with existing systems. Yeah, true. Like um, human trafficking existed a long time before Bitcoin did. Mm. Um, as like the the war on drugs, whatever your opinion is on that, whether it's failed or whether it's positive or uh, a, a negative, people could buy drugs before Bitcoin existed, mm. and also and, and and things like that. Um, and I, I suppose the question mark that people have is: Does it? facilitate it does it make it easier and I guess that then has to do with can it be regulated in a way that um, the only people that actually ever want any regulation for the government to stick their nose into somebody else's business is somebody that's looking to protect their own interests Mm. like if you just recently you've seen uh, Facebook calling for regulation of like social media as soon as you introduce regulations you're putting up a huge barrier to entry which is great for people like Facebook or Twitter and think they've got the resources to enter that market or stay in that market but as soon as you do that all of you startups that want to get into that space they can have a great idea but they can't just sit in the garage and build it like amazon was built or google and things they have to go and get funding and and if the idea is going to be too much of a challenge to one of the big guys the big guys can easily put them down before it gets started you've talked a bit about community hmm uh, recently, we on the show we had LGO Markets, who are building a, a, a Bitcoin exchange, and they they've got a Bit license in New York. And New well, York that is like a piece of legislation that should be put in the fires and pits of hell. I was just interested <laughs> to see what your what your thoughts were, because obviously they're part of this broader community. Do you see that as a these you know building a Bit exchange that ties into tra- traditional There's, financial institutions as a positive? Not, I, I'm. It's not for me to say. Like we're gonna need infrastructure that caters to existing like financial institutions for the institutions to feel comfortable to enter into the space. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we're gonna need those absolutely. Because to me, but, the the bit license sounded like it was a 
positive thing if a, if a, for a city like New York in as much as trying to attract No, the big license was created by a guy called Ben Lorsky who right. was working in the government at the time. He wrote that legislation. He then left his position once it was passed into law and created an advisory firm that helps people get the bit license. Right. And it's an extremely complex, complicated law uh, and set of regulations, an expensive set of regulations that you have to abide by to get licensed. And he literally created those laws to be as complex and as stupid and as crazy as possible. So people had to go to him to pay him to be able to go and apply for it and get it. Mm. Which for me is just like corrupt <laughs> it's like almost as corrupt as you can get like corrupt mm. capital or crony capitalism um, and that and, and there's a lot of the exchanges like the the more um, ideologically focused exchanges that have been around a lot longer that just stay out of New York and, and New York have driven so much um, opportunity and innovation out of New York through taking that approach um, which some people that if you're uh, against Bitcoin or you don't like Bitcoin or you don't understand Bitcoin so you're defensive and uh, you think that the incumbents are just absolutely fine um, then they'll praise that type of legislation up and say that's the right way and the right approach and uh, and everything but for me personally it's garbage <laughs> I suppose it's one of those things with an emerging market. There's going to be all sorts of yeah, well, different we, actors. That's the thing. There's, use, so, many, there's so many take, aspects looking at Bitcoin. it from different from There's angles. so many aspects and use cases. Um, like I can say, sit here and say, "Oh, Bitcoin's a great store of value," but for some other people, it's a great medium of exchange. Mm. Um, and um, for for others, it can mean something else. Um, and it all depends on the individual. And I. There's a lot of people that try to pigeonhole Bitcoin like within the existing um, infrastructure and like the the existing frameworks that we have, and it always turns out to be a, a square peg for a round hole. Yeah, and it, it's been like this since like 2011, 2012, like the same discussions, and, and it's it's like if you're going to regulate it, actually make it fit what the technology is capable of, and the only place that it can be regulated is from the the existing world into the Bitcoin world because as soon as it gets in, any value is in that Bitcoin world there's no bank in the middle that can say no you two can't transact mm. that's not how the system works you can't censor anything on that network which is also beautiful so what happens next for fast Bitcoins I mean who do you need to work with as well we're, because we're, I suppose partnerships have got to be crucial to your, to your plans yeah we're aiming uh, to have 300,000 locations um, around the world we're already at operational in the UK um, we've got places in South Wales up in Scotland um, here in London uh, around the Midlands where I'm based uh, and we've got um, people coming on board to, to start distributing uh, our hardware solutions that enables merchants to, to offer our vouchers um, we've also got places in uh, Canada as well we've got a, got a cabbie like this in Montreal mm-hmm. um, we've got some currency exchanges uh, that are based in Vancouver uh, and British Columbia that are all coming online in the next one to two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, we we also have uh, like physical vouchers that we're uh, aiming to have um, in gift card malls around the world. So when you're in your supermarket and you see all of your big brands on the on the uh, the racks, yeah, for for buying vouchers, and partly due to our branding, the the domain name which costs far too much money 
um, uh, fastbitcoins.com. If you're walking down uh, an aisle in a, in a supermarket and you see fastbitcoins.com, oh, I'll try that out. £10, why not? It's been really interesting talking to you. It's a whole new area that obviously we, people are slowly... to do. <laughs> There's still so much to do. Thank you for your time. That's right, thank you. Right, is Bitcoin going to make the world a better place? Well, going to make the world a safer place. Do you think? Yeah. I mean, you know I love a real-time example as much as I love a metaphor. Have you drank the Kool-Aid? Haven't <laughs> drank the Kool-Aid. But no, the Venezuelans, you know, issues at the border, they're putting their their assets, if you will, into Bitcoin because of the trepidations yeah. that it means to cross the Venezuelan border. And their stuff's safe. You know, they've got to remember 12 words or whatever it is. You know, even if you write those 12 words down and a... No, I'm not going to generalise all criminals, but you'd probably assume that a criminal wouldn't know that that's got anything to do with cryptocurrency or Bitcoin, right? So that that is a safe thing. And I, I think I see that as a positive. Look, it is. And I found the conversation with Danny genuinely very, very interesting. Yep. I, do, I, I thought it was interesting his choice of words. So he talks about crony capitalism, <laughs> right? And Bitcoin does feel like a reaction to this this attitude that we're basically getting ripped off by people in power yep and that we need some safeguard to protect people etc yep but I am equally not 100% regulations but I don't think Danny, no. think, Danny doesn't think no. that either I mean look at how he laughed at the Bitcoin license in New York I mean just to rewind to that bit you know he's talking we had uh, was it Sumo Pay on who were lauding the fact that they got this license accreditation Danny makes it sound like one of the most impossible things to do and guess what the guy that implemented it all and set it up then left and started a consultancy to help people get the get the license. Mm. Now, if that's not corrupt or, or bogus capitalism or whatever you want to call it, but you do need regulation because you do need 100%, to accept hundred percent that, that without regulation, yep. people like you and me, yep. Jack, our interests would not be represented. So it has to be yep. an independent regulator yep. that sits outside of legislators. Yep. It's interesting. At the weekend, I was watching Vice. Uh, the, the recent biopic on Dick Cheney. It's all right. It's fine. It's all right. But yeah. Christian Bell's very good. Yeah, the, yeah, point, yeah. the point why I thought this was relevant is that it so perfectly paints the idea of a, of a legislator bending events to their own self-will <laughs> with the Iraq war and Halliburton. It's exactly what Dick Cheney does. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can see how a regulator can manipulate events oh. to their own... Uh, you know that crony capitalism thing. Well, as the example, lining the pockets of those who are already in power and rich. And and Facebook, you know, want to implement a social media policy or regulation. Of course they do because mm. they can they can influence it harder, faster, quicker than anybody else, and they're going to be the ones benefit from it. But I don't think it's right to say regulation is bad for stop. We know it's not. Everyone. And, yeah. yeah, we know it's not. But I can I can get his frustration and where he's coming from because you know he's seen a heavily regulated industry almost kick him out of Cyprus. Hmm. You know, financial regulation has been a mess and, you know, the, the, the border agreements and all the European shit that's way above my understanding just shows that, you know, the people in charge can't regulate. It needs to go self-regulatory. And in tech, we know that tech companies regulate faster than most because they tech, tech alone can't, can't regulate Exactly. Regulate so it comes back to that constant... It has to be about a sea change in, in attitude from everyone involved. Yeah. What I find really interesting about this whole piece, though, is the whole dilemma about fiat currencies versus commodity currencies mm. right so i was at jesus college cambridge last week for um a conference on blockchain not 
not specifically crypto, although crypto and Bitcoin was a big part of that conversation, sure, but sure. It, was, it was blockchain as a whole. I have to admit, I felt somewhat out of my depth. At, you felt uh, out of your depth at a tech conference in Cambridge? Well, at I Jesus never. College, Cambridge, yeah. Yeah, well, I never. Well, no, wait, everyone else in the room. The Jesus bit should be fine oh, for yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everyone else in the room, I felt, had a PhD or a, <laughs> or a, a, a professor. Uh, well, I'm David, I'm ex recruiter. <laughs> I've got lots of comments since saying my comments were very relevant, so fuck yeah, you. Yeah, well, uh, because, yeah. You're rele- <laughs> you're, they're relevant because of this, Dave, because of the podcast, yeah. Is that, is that basically a humble brag on your part? Uh, it's meta, right? Right, okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, but there is this thing, isn't there, that if we don't have cash, I, I do get on board with this. Sure. That if, if we move to a cashless society and we don't have something like Bitcoin, mm. you will always be dependent on either a government or a bank. And you can then, for therefore, sorry, have negative interest rates, rather. And Explain that to me. Negative interest rates. I mean, it sounds terrible. I don't know what it is. Well, at the minute, interest, obviously, even if you have low interest yeah. rates, you put your money in the bank, you're going to make a little bit of money. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I suppose you could put your money in the bank and you'd lose money. So that that the incentive there is what then? Why would you why would you succumb to that? Well, you wouldn't want right, interest right, a negative right. a negative interest rate. But that's the it way would it's be going. It's happening in Japan. But if you had a cashless society yep. and it was just numbers on the screen, I suppose, rather than having a commodity based currency at its root, like gold, sure. will only ever increase in value. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. I, and I suppose what Danny's saying here is that Bitcoin is like gold; it's yep. commodity based. Yep, yep, yep. Gotcha. Um, and and it was interesting. The, the, the point I was going to make and I'm very inarticulate about this Jesus College Cambridge all these very very bright people they were talking about the fact that it's like yeah there are problems with cryptocurrencies and there are problems with Bitcoin Mm. but fiat currencies have failed to a large degree and at the minute it's kind of like democracy in that it's the worst it's a bad form of governance but it's the least worst available (laughs) and it's almost the same with fiat currencies And, and maybe it comes back to that point that Bitcoin is actually a very positive thing in the long term yep. and Danny talks about it being like 15, 20, 30 years down the line mm. that it, it, it does give a lot more protection I suppose to people like you and me right at the start of the of the conversation he mentions you know he's got his his kids and his future grandkids if he ever lets his daughter have a boyfriend which I liked um, but he, he's got them at the forefront of his mind and that, that comes through with everything he says I mean yeah. you know he's come from a place where he wants to protect his family and he's seen a state fail with money so he's, he, he, his point of view is, is kind of unique, but kind of shared by everyone. I like the fact that he admits that he might be part of the tinfoil hat brigade. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you've got... There's a bit, there's a bit of awareness yeah, about this conversation. Yeah, and, yeah. Y- you know, um, not everyone is going to agree on this. At the very beginning of the podcast, we said, you know, it's quite philosophical, it's quite political. I can see mm. that people would have a different point of view, depending on their... On their um, interests and their influences so we had a guy uh last week at the conference Mm -hmm. who was from the bank of england obviously he had quite a different view to some people in the room that's a surprise yeah but i I feel it was genuine at the same time i mean and fair fair play to him for going right just first and foremost to go into one of these tech meetups or whatever to represent the bank of england the thing that i i still struggle with is personally even if it's corrupt and crony I will pay for stuff in pounds because I trust and I understand that measurement of currency. At the minute, I still just, I just don't, I, I, I hear what Danny's saying, but I personally 
wouldn't buy a drink in Bitcoin because I don't know how much it's really costing me and I don't feel comfortable with that. It's weird because even though it's been around for 10 plus years now, it's still like we're still waiting for that moment that Tesla had where the first car set on fire. You know, We still want to wait to see for it to go horribly wrong and then be fixed before we can trust it. Well, some people might argue that it has gone horribly oh, wrong when, when the value clapped. When they've lost a lot of money. Yeah, I, yeah, I get that. But, but I mean, overall trend going on. Yeah, and I just, I think, yeah, especially as Brits, right, we're going to worry no matter what about our money like we just do we intrinsically do like it reminds me of those old stories during the second world war where you take a it was in germany you take a wheelbarrow of money up to the exchequer and they get more money for the wheelbarrow than the the cash you had right that's an example where cash is like means nothing because as he says you know the bank of england could print 10 million pound more tomorrow yeah. and lower the value of money crypto saves us that. from that yeah, yeah, yeah. but we're just going to worry. We're just going to worry until it's heavily regulated and everyone, or peers do it, companies do it, until the first few martyrs, if you will, you know, go through and, and weigh out the, the route through it. We're, we're, it's, it's a hard one to get on board with, right? Yep. Anyway, fascinating conversation. Mm, I learned a lot. Ish. We, well, we, you learn a lot on every episode. Yeah, every day's a school day <laughs> with me, yeah. I, I also would Ooh. probably cut myself in that column. No, probably, actually, about it. You can tell uh, you, you this hosted a couple of fucking panels over the last week, can't you? I can't learn anymore. <laughs> Gets right. called a celebrity by the CEO. You, been, you knew I was going to come at you for that. No, I, 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 I was saying that self-mockingly on, a, on Twitter, so... Anyway. Right. I think that'll uh, draw to, to the close of part one of the show, and we will move on to the second part after this short break. Tech Talks are partnering with Alive and Kicking, a charity that set up businesses that manufacture beautiful sports balls across sub-Saharan Africa. Using profits from ball sales and additional fundraising from events like the Hackney Half Marathon, they're able to train sports coaches to deliver vital health education. We're about to hear from Naomi, a coach in Zambia, who's been trained to deliver mental health education to her community. Hello there, this is Coach Naomi from Zambia. I would love to say with Alive and Kicking training, which has helped me to teach my players about like mental health. It has really built my knowledge and they have passed through to my young players in, in the community. I also work with Special Olympics where we deal with children with a disability, mentally and physically. I hope and trust that the Alive and Kicking will continue teaching coaches in various parts of the world, not just in Zambia. Thank you very much, Alive and Kicking. Right, second part of the show. We do have an envelope from Ryder. We will save that. Mm -hmm. First of all, I've got one story to share with you that I think you'll love. Go on. It's taken from The Verge. Nice. Right? This is the headline. That video of a robot getting beaten is fake, but feeling sorry for machines is no joke. Did you feel sorry for the CGI robot? If so, you're not alone. This is by James Vincent. Have mm-hmm. you seen this? What's the bit? Yeah, I need more context. So basically, it's um, being created by Boston Dynamics, as far as it goes. Oh, the yeah. uh, MIT bunch in Boston. No, no, because that's, that's Boston Dynamics. This is Boston Dynamics. Oh, okay. I, I assumed you'd mispronounced no, no, no. it. No, no, no. I'm not that stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks. It's a fake video of a Boston Dynamics demonstration. Except what happens is, is that the inventors of the robot turn on it and start beating it. Oh, shit. And tormenting it. And at the end of the video, the robot retaliates 
and strikes back. And we all feel sorry for this robot and we're like, good for because him. Because they've been uh, picked uh, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, that's not the interesting bit. The interesting bit is it, is it brings us onto this question about, is it okay to hurt robots, right? Now, the obvious answer well, if is... if you make a kid, you don't hurt that kid. If you make a robot, you therefore shouldn't hurt that robot. Well, no, no, the, well, the, the, the point is, of course, it's okay to hurt robots because they're not conscious, they can't feel pain. And the article goes on to point out that if you feel sorry for robots, it's odd because it's no different to dropping a plate. You don't feel sorry for dropping a plate on the floor and smashing it. Well, Greece, you celebrate it. But... Humans do feel sorry for robots. Numerous studies show that it's laughably easy to make humans treat robots <laughs> like humans. We feel bad turning them off if they ask us to. Yeah. We obey their orders if they're presented to us as authority figures and we get uncomfortable touching their private parts. Now you might say, why is this interesting? Why is this it's relevant? It's forward face and eyes. No, no. The interesting thing is, what if your kid mm. has an autonomous robot at home that you don't want to turn off because you feel sorry for it, but it's quietly getting marketing information and data. There's a jump there you've taken, though, by bringing into uh, a, hypothet a hypothetical child that I do not yet have. The minute you put it into your home is different into when you have it at okay, the office. Or so what about the benefits of Paro the baby harp seal? Remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking yeah. about how robots are going to help elderly people? The dog? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So Paro the baby harp seal can help elderly stop feeling lonely. Yep. But what about corporations taking advantage of our empathy? And this is an no, interesting that's point. right. That's so right. They're going to be listening. Oh, look, Jim Morrison needs 80 more packs of Werther's delivered. Yeah, no, the video, the video, the parody video is a parody video, but it does raise this interesting thing. Like, this robot that they're taking, that they're taking advantage of doesn't even have a face. It just has limbs and a body. It's kind of formless, but people have felt sorry for it. Robots are increasingly going to be part of our society. Yeah. There are going to be people that argue for rights for robots. I think it's... <laughs> no, there are. But it's just... That's when they take over. That's when they take over. Because we are biologically hardwired to protect... Sorry, to project intent and to life onto anything that we put a face on. And there are going to be some interesting kind of cases of... Is that... Could that be taken advantage of? Watch 2001 A Space Odyssey and you won't feel sorry for robots anymore. Doesn't have a face. It's very true, actually. Yeah, it's just in the, in the system, isn't it's it? It's just a red... How? A Blinking red dot, dot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, well, I robot then. You don't feel sorry for Will Smith when he starts smashing them up. You feel sorry for the robot in iRobot. Nah, you do. Nah, maybe I need to And the robot it. that's the bad guy is just a central computer that's formless. Well, iRobot is just a new version of Planet of the Apes, if you ask me. I didn't, but okay. Well, you have now. <laughs> no, that, you raise good points there. And yeah, as we need to remove our empathy levels for non-real things. Well, we just need... I think we just need to be more aware of actually what it is that we're dealing with yeah and be worried that you know the robot can take a beating and not get hurt and then turn around and slap you and knock your face off but it wouldn't be doing it out of intent no oh well depends depends how it's hardwired look as we digress by someone yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. Right. <laughs> let's move on to the envelope secret envelope dave and jack as always we don't know what's in the envelope i can't, I can't get into the envelope Riders close it with erudite. The good, the good thing is this proves that we really have no idea what's in there because I can't get into them. There we go. Bloody thing. Here we go. Ooh. Health tech. You go first. Health tech. Okay. Um, look, undoubtedly, advances within medicine through technology are a good thing. But I think actually that the, the best stuff that we're seeing here 
uh, is around doctorpreneurs, is around uh, medics who have a vested interest in the NHS, understand that it's difficult for services to be delivered to the NHS because it is so big and so bureaucratic. Mm. Um, it, it just is, unfortunately, that's facts. Uh, but they're, they're not leaving the NHS, but they're going, you know what, I'll work one or two days a week in, in an A&E or as, as a GP, but I'll also build a platform that fixes the problems that I see as a healthcare professional. And I think that's a really interesting uh, development. Mm. I also think that, obviously, we, we sometimes worry about data when it comes to health tech, okay? Um, and, and my opening statement about, obviously this is a good thing, is fully in the knowledge that yes, there are some cons concerns about data, yeah. but just like open banking has yeah. helped financial services, something like an open health uh, sector coming together, mm. like we were talking about with um, Birdie, yep. with Max, yep, yep. would be a really positive thing. So yes, health tech is absolutely a good thing. We have to be aware of how people's data is being used but that shouldn't stop progress. And also, just on that, we don't mind our data being shared if it's our health data and it's gonna help prevent illness and disease elsewhere, right? Absolutely. There you go. I'm gonna take it down a totally different uh, route and I'm gonna almost go off script a bit. Um, augmenting the human body, it's not quite health tech, but it can prevent health issues. So we, we, I brought a product to the podcast about a year ago now, where there's these exoskeletons that strap onto to the men and women working in females. And they're working in factories, moving big sort of parts of a car or you know general manual labor that you have to do in, in big factories. And they've got these sort of exoskeletons that you know almost make you feel a bit like the vulture in Batman, and um, in Spider-Man where you can just add stuff, make yourself strong and all the rest of it. But ultimately, a lot of people go to the NHS and they go to the, the, the walk-in centre with, with physical pains and that is as a result of maybe working too hard, working too fast. Now tech has the responsibility and also the profit with purpose angle to be, well let's augment the human body not as a fully integrated part just yet but you know alleviating back pain and leg pain in factory environments. You know, it might be a bit short-termism because ultimately factory work's probably going to go down the AI augmented route fully anyway. But, you know, there's still going to be people working in factories for generations. And, you know, it doesn't stop with factories. If you work on a beach and you've got to lug around jet skis and stuff like that, you know, you could have the support of an exoskeleton there. So not quite health tech, but hey, fuck it. <laughs> a very articulate point to end on. Fuck it. Okay. That's health tech done. Failed. <laughs> Right, Jack, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule, He's getting back. up a red eye and yeah. then having to kind of get back into work. But here you are with the listeners. Here I am with the listeners. And to all the new listeners I've picked up in Texas as well, Charlie Brown, if you're listening, hello. Peanuts. Oh, don't. I, when I met Charlie <laughs> Brown, I said, nice to meet you, what's your name? Uh, Charlie Brown, I, went, I won't make a joke. He went, good, because everyone always makes Is the joke. Is he going to be snooping in on the show? <laughs> Charlie, I'm sorry, my friend. <laughs> I don't know him, so I don't feel he's, bad about it. He's lovely, he's lovely, but yeah, uh, he, look, he's old enough to know that this was going to happen eventually, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to all the new listeners I picked up in Texas, and I'm sure you would have gained some from Tech Week in that last week as well. So to new listeners, I <laughs> don't know why I'm still looking at the camera, to new listeners, thank you. You're talking to the listeners, that you, <laughs> you just know they're out there. They're there somewhere. You know what, you're, you're putting empathy onto that phone. I know. It yeah. hasn't even got a face. I know, and I hate Huawei's. <laughs> <laughs>